When I talk to property investors, they often tell me using debt is a key advantage over other asset classes. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Ryan, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's very wonderful to have you here, mate. And uh, thanks for trekking into the city, Melbourne CBD. No worries. There, there were a lot of uh, people wearing black and white in the city. There must be something going on this after this uh, this weekend, I think. Yeah, we do not mention those people who support Collingwood Football Club. It is the weekend of the AFL Grand Final, if you're watching this or listening to this. Um, let's go Brisbane Lions. So, mate, we are going to talk about individual share investing, stock investing, sometimes called stock picking. A lot of our audience, in fact, over 75% of the people that listen to most RAS podcasts invest in individual shares as well as ETFs. So whether they started in shares and ETFs or they do ETFs, shares and something else, like they might do managed funds, it doesn't really matter. A lot of people are interested in the stock market, they're interested in companies, and this is what you do for a living. So we're going to cover that. Uh, and for anyone that didn't come to the Taralgon Rask Roadshow event a couple of months ago, maybe now, um, at that event, you did have a bit of a session up on stage with me. So people will... Uh, know that we went to school together. They'll, um, you know, kind of probably heard the story where you were on our investors podcast and they will know that we know each other pretty well. So there might be a few inside jokes as we go through. But I'm curious, before we get to all of that sort of stuff, I want to know what the most unusual investment you've ever made is. And it could be anything. It doesn't have to be a stock or a company. It doesn't have to be an ETF. It could be anything. Sure, and uh, and w when I answer, I also want to hear your answer because on the show notes that you provided me with, mm. you gave me an example, and the example that you said was 
Pokemon cards, but more importantly, starting a flower business. So I want to hear about that in a moment. Okay, sure. My response, though, uh, I, I've got two, I would say. Probably my first one would be a coin collection. Um, so my dad mm. uh, got, got me really into coin collecting uh, as, a, as a kid. It's probably not something that I've been overly active in ever since, but you know, every year just try and get you know the, the, the latest mint set or proof set or you know, just sort of collecting those coins. It's one of those things where you, know, you, you might pay more than a dollar for a dollar coin, but in a hope Seems that, weird. It seems weird, but in the hope that you know, that special coin will be worth something more in the future. And I guess that's what investing is, right? Mm. Probably the other strange or unusual investment I've made, though, is a YouTube channel. Now, I'm going to keep that anonymous. Uh, I'd prefer not to keep my, uh, to put my name against it. Um, but it's, a, I guess, a side hustle, so mm-hmm. to speak. So it's a way that I can... It's a hobby as well. I, I enjoy doing the editing and creating the content for this site. Uh, but also, you know, in the hope of generating some revenue, it is re- revenue generating. It's still costing me more to run than it is actually generating me revenue. But again, in the hope that one day it will become a proper investment and mm-hmm. start start gener- generating me some cash. So it's like a it's a side hustle, but you're trying to get some passive income. Correct. Yeah, and it, it sides as a ho- hobby as well, right? Yeah, yeah. And cool. I think that's a, a really important thing that you can cool. actually enjoy doing it. So you're in the business of viral videos. Viral videos. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's an interesting thing. I, I wouldn't call myself an influencer. <laughs> no, no, no. Who would call themselves an influencer? Wink, wink. Um, no. So my <laughs> my flower business is not so much a side hustle. When I was probably between, I'd say about anywhere between seven, eight, and 15 in that age bracket, uh, my mum used to highly encourage me to do a like a flower stall uh, because we lived on a flower farm. So I saw that as a way that I could go and cut the flowers, climb up this cliff of a farm that we lived on. Like it was so steep. This was know. Linda, right? Yeah, yep. back in the day. Um, and I would cut the flowers like Proteus Waratahs for people that are familiar with those types of flowers, cut them put them in posies and then go and sell them at the tourist local tourist tourist area. And I reckon I'd make between, let's say a hundred, I told this story recently on the investors podcast, a hundred and two hundred fifty dollars cash in probably like three or four hours. And this is, you know, not that old, but it was back in the day. And I reckon people of my age at that time would have had to work two or three days for that. Mm. So that was a really good business and um, not so much an investment, but I guess businesses are investments and that Mm. was something. It lasted for a few years until the council closed me down because all the stores where I was selling cracked it. They got upset that I was making money, probably taking some of their customers' wallets. And yeah, so be it. That was the way it ended. It was uh, always going to be the council or the tax man that shut it down. Yeah. I was I mean, waiting to see which one did. Well, yeah. Yeah. I was small fry for the ATO, but you never know. Um, it was a good business. And uh, it was interesting because then uh, my mom actually, even though she, she worked in like disability and health for many years, she actually had her own proper side hustle where she would sell those flowers by the road herself and um, she did it properly she actually got a permit unlike her son so that was mine uh, and then the other one which i mentioned was pokemon cards so i spent about 250 bucks on that i worked it out like i got i spent 250 bucks to buy pokemon cards from mates um when i was about 18 19 so this is when everyone else was doing more fun things on their friday night i was in a car trying to bargain with a friend at the time to give me his pokemon cards uh, and he was more than happy to give me them for like 250 bucks. But in that huge stack of cards, I got like a Charizard, I got all these special shiny cards. I reckon it's worth about three to three and a half grand. Have you still got it? Yeah, yeah, I've still got them all. Wow, incredible. And just, just the Charizard alone's worth, in, my, in the condition that's in five to 800 bucks. Um, and I worked it out. So you're an analyst like me. 
I worked out it's about a thirteen bagger, so it means it's gone up thirteen times, and that works out into an annualized rate of return of about twenty three point five percent. Incredible. So pretty happy with that. That's mine. Now back to you. Spotlight is I need to put on you here, mate. So. You are the director of research at the Motley Fool Australia. Correct. Tens of thousands of people will know the Motley Fool, if not hundreds of thousands or millions by now. Uh, when we ask people at our events to put their hands up, who knows the Motley Fool? Basically, everyone in the room. So, for one reason or another, folks know broadly what the Motley Fool does. But I would like to know, as a director of research, as an analyst, a lot of the people that watch this or listen to this won't be really familiar with what an analyst actually does. So can you tell us what you do day to day? Yeah, I, I guess I'll start from my role specifically as a, as the director, director of research. So I've been in that role for about four months now. Uh, I took over from a, a man named Kevin Gandia, who was a, a really good analyst as well. Uh, and I suppose as well, following on from a number of other really solid mm. analysts, uh, we've got Joe, Joe Mega, uh, Matt Joss, uh, Anuban Mahanti as well. I mm -hmm. know a few of them have been guests on this this podcast or quite a few of your other podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, as director of research, though, what I would say my specific role is is really enabling the team and helping them to develop. And that's not to say that that automatically makes me the best in the team or anything like that. It's It, it, it really is just helping to focus their development and make sure that they've got what they need to do the best job that they can do. Mm -hmm. I think as well, you know, leading by example, um, I am probably one of the more experienced ones on the team. Uh, and I think that as well comes from the experience that I've had with those investors that I mentioned before. I've learned a lot from those investors, uh, people like yourself as well, you know, just sort of surrounding yourself with people who are in the field, who know what they're, know what they're doing, but can sort of teach you- Can that laugh because of me? Because <laughs> you looked at me and laughed, but that's okay. <laughs> it wasn't personalized, man. <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, just, just having had that opportunity to work under those investors, Others on the team haven't had quite such a good opportunity. Um, mm. As I mentioned, Joe Mega was my was my mentor. I still do try and keep up with him. I do need to contact him again. Uh, sort of mm. drop so off Joe, the radar. if you're listening, Joe, yeah. if you're listening, <laughs> wait for that message. Yeah, um, yeah. Some of the other members on the team, though, they haven't had that opportunity, and I really want to try and help. I guess impose my learnings on them and just sort of continue to to uh, invest in our team, so to speak, to continue to give the members what they want and what they deserve and you know, hopefully turn that into some really solid returns. In terms of the analysts themselves, so I, I, I'm not just a director of research, I'm also an advisor and an analyst. What we're, what we're really looking to do is to, uh, to find the best opportunities across the ASX. We do also do some across the S&P 500 uh, or you know, just more the NASDAQ more generally over in the States. Um, but we're really looking for market beating opportunities. So we're really turning over stones, looking at opportunities, looking into, into industries and trying to figure out, you know, where are the where are the best opportunities for the money right now? Yeah. So these would be like individual companies. You'd be sitting down, you'd be reading the ASX releases that they put out. So the annual reports, that's mm -hmm. stuff. But then you'll be doing industry research as well. We, we yes, we, we're more bottom up, bottom up. Uh, investors, so we do focus more on the business itself as opposed to the industry or what the economy is doing. I think those are important considerations to to have. You know, if you're going into a recession, then you're probably going to be looking at what is going to be he most heavily impacted by that. Or, uh, but you know, there's even then there's opportunities, right? Mm. Or there there can certainly be opportunities to be found. But we are more specifically looking at the businesses and then sort of looking up from there. Yeah, right. And so, would you meet with the CEO or the management team? We do. We we do definitely try and do that. Uh, it's not. 
We don't have a, a house view at the Motley Fool. So, and what I mean by that is no, no one investor is the same. We all have different processes. Uh, that, that's also part of my role as director of research to try and implement certain processes. But that's not to say that I want to take away every, you know, every team member's autonomy. Yeah. Some, some team members get a lot of benefit from talking to management teams, others less so. Uh, one of the biases, for example, is uh, if you get too close to a management team, you know, they can, you can sort of start to trust them too much at times. Mm. And I think that can become a bit of a problem as well. So it's sort of just about, you know, finding, finding your own personal preferences and, uh, and managing those biases. If I was to ask you, because I know you've done a lot of these, if I was to ask you, um, like, which CEO stands out in your mind as someone that's like, you've thought they're a really good operator, like a really good CEO in the way that they run their business or just the way that they think, communicate, whatever. Can you give us an example of someone that you've come across? Probably the, the best example that I can think of uh, on the spot would be Daryl Lobotomy. Now, he is no longer the CEO of Batcore, but he was a really a really interesting guy. Uh, he was obviously very knowledgeable in, in the business. Uh, for those who don't know, Batcore is basically a distributions business for, uh, for spare parts for, for cars. So they'll distribute to mechanics uh, who then you know, obviously use those parts to, to repair cars. He was just a really knowledgeable guy and just very strategic thinking, very long-term oriented. Uh, you know, wasn't focused on what the share price was doing mm. any, on any given day. He was just very operations focused and and focused on delivering shareholders and and all stakeholders the the best outcomes in the long run. Yeah, right. Um, so I'm curious. Then we've we're going to talk a lot about shares in this conversation. And that's where both you and I started our finance journey. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people start in property. Uh, some people recently have started in all types of things, crypto, which I probably wouldn't call an investment. But um, people like start all different types of ways. Why is it that you are interested in shares and the, or sorry, the share market broadly rather than other types of finance things? I think for me, I, I mentioned this at the, uh, the Tarragon event as well a couple of months ago. One of the things that really drove me into the finance industry in the first place was just, I guess, curiosity about how the world works. You know, and investing. Uh, when, you know, when you really dig into it, what you're looking at is businesses. It's not just three-letter ticker codes that you know trade at a certain price on the ASX at, on any given day. Yeah. What's really driving those is a business, and what's driving that performance is people behind those businesses, and obviously ideas as well. And I think that's what really drove me into the industry in the first place. Just that passion for learning, for learning how different things work together. I, I was always, I was always a really curious person. Um, it, 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 you know, when I when I actually first started in university, I, a lot of people don't know this about me. Uh, you do, but uh, I actually started off in nursing before I got into finance. Now, the mm. reason I got into nursing was because I was very interested in, I guess, the acad- I wanted to become a doctor basically, and it was, you know, sort of yeah. the pathway I was going to use to get there. I really enjoyed the first part of it because it sort of drove me back into that academic side of things. Uh, realized that nursing wasn't for me and then found my way into finance with you. Mm. But just that academic focus, you know, as I said, figuring out how the world works, putting things together, that ability to research. And, you know, a lot of people do like to make investments, but I'm lucky enough to be able to say that that's, a, that's my job. You yeah. know, that, that's the role that I play. Yeah, fair enough. Um, it's it is a, just a, an interesting thing. It's like so many people say you won't become great at something you don't love doing, and I see that with a lot of investors and people in the share market and these types of things, or even in property. Like people in property go to auctions on weekends, even if they have no interest in buying those investments um, or making those investments. And it's the same with shares. A lot of people 
that I need to go to an auction. They can just look online and see what these companies do and they get fascinated by that. And so I see a lot of talented analysts kind of become just like engrossed in the idea of investing. And even if they're not getting paid for it, they just love it. And so do a lot of our community. They just love investing and they just want to learn more. Hence why most people listen to this podcast. I think as well, I'll just throw one more thing in there too. I think when we think about investing, we often think about the what and the how, but what we often forget is the why. And I think that's a really important element of it. Why are you investing? What are you actually building towards? Uh, for me, you know, when I started investing, it was really, I suppose, to to, to build my wealth. Yep. And now that I have a family, I've got three three uh, three young kids and also a beautiful wife. Now my goal is really to build towards a better future for them, so that I've got something to provide them in the future. You know, a more comfortable future, one where I'm, you know, my wife and I are more financially free as well. That we don't have to work all the time and we can give the kids what they need. That's my why, and I'm sure every other investor out there has a why as well. It's probably not going to be the same as mine, but they will have a reason why. And do you think that is why you chose to focus on shares? Like, if if you think about it, because you wanted to provide for them, you thought the share market's a good way to do that. I think that's that's a really good reason. Uh, so historically speaking, the share market has delivered better returns than a lot of other asset classes, and there is an element of you know you're taking on that extra risk. So you you should be expecting that extra rate of return. I think for me as well, one of the reasons why I like investing in shares is because it gives me that freedom. You know, I, I can sort of choose my own path, choose mm. my own destiny, so to speak. I can uh, invest in areas that I think are going to be more important in five, 10 years time. I'm a long-term investor and that's certainly our philosophy at The Motley Fool as well. Um, so th- those sort of factors, I think that freedom is, is one of the things as well that drove me into shares. How do you weigh up the the pros and cons of direct share investing because a lot of our audience do it already. I do it. I love it. Um, and a lot of our audience are saying, well, we'll just stay with shares. So we did a survey recently. We've got 1,100 people wrote in. So thank you for people that took part in this. Um, around about 44% said they'll only ever invest in, like they'll only ever manage, they'll only ever invest their own money and won't give up control to anyone else. A lot of people said they want support with that. And then within that, around 70 so percent said, I'm looking for more than just ETFs. And so it kind of gave me a perspective of like this, the person that we speak to every each and every week when we step behind this mic is someone who, like me, wants to know more about the world and is willing to try new things with their money, even if that means a little bit of risk in the short term. So I'm curious how you think about ETFs, individual shares, like how do you weigh up that? I think one of the benefits, I I like both for what it's worth. I think one of the benefits of investing in ETFs is we we obviously want to go for diversification. When when it comes to investing, you don't want to have all of your eggs in one basket. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with that that terminology. But I suppose one of the things with uh, an ETF is that you also get things that you don't necessarily want. So uh, let's just use a, a simple example, an ETF that you know tracks the ASX 200. So basically the largest 200 companies in Australia that, that are also liquid. There, there might be some businesses in there that you don't want to be a part of. There might be, you know, you don't believe in mining's future as an example. So if you invest in an ETF that sort of backs that, yes, you've got diversification, but you also don't have the control, I suppose, of which businesses to include, which ones to exclude. Mm-hmm. With individual shares, one of the things that I really like about that is, uh, one of, certainly one of one of my strategies as well, is focused diversification. Now, I'm still going for diversification. I don't want to just have one or two or three businesses. 
But what I do want to be able to do is to put more of my weight behind my my highest conviction ideas. So there might be a business that I've followed for five, 10 years. You know, I'm really confident in it. I really like management. I really like the, the direction that this business is going. That might be something that I want to have, say, 10% of my wealth in. Then there might be a more, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll call it a, I won't call it speculative, but maybe a satellite position. I know that's yeah. what you refer to them as. A satellite position, which is more, you know, something that it's more aspirational, so to speak. If it's a business that I'm only really just learning about, I, I'm very interested. I like it. You know, I like what it's doing. I might make that a one or two percent position and then sort of build on that over time. I have more control to do that. Whereas I guess if you're investing directly in ETFs, you don't have that same level of control. Mm. Um, I would say as well, for ETFs, there's they are more hands off. So I think for investors who don't want to do anything, they just want to put some money to work and and not worry about it. ETFs are probably a pretty good way to go, and certainly something that I think beginner investors you know are suited to. And I think that's what you sort of just alluded to then, mm. as well with your listeners. I think though it does come back to over time, other investors want that level of control, and that's why they may start to to look to add individual shares to their to their portfolios as well. I am a believer as well that you know, you can beat the market. The, the market is the average, right? So there are people out there who are beating the market and provide uh, and generating a better return than what the market is. I think part of that is probably also in the selling, the art of selling. And I think that's probably something that a lot of investors struggle with. It's certainly something that I'm still working towards. Um, and I'm not, ash- I'm not ashamed to say that. I think a lot of investors need to work on their selling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another, an, another element of it as well. Mm. Um, what The other thing I would say as well is and I suppose this probably does go in ETF's favor, is the fees. So yes, there are fees attached to an ETF. Uh, so basically a management fee. At the same time though, if you want diversification, it is often cheaper to just buy an ETF as opposed to having to buy you know 15 or 20 or 25 individual stocks and incur mm-hmm. the brokerage fees for each of those. So that's probably something in favor of ETFs. Uh, at the Motley Fool though, Although we do invest in ETFs and individual businesses, I would say we're much more heavily weighted towards individual shares. Yeah. And I imagine uh, a lot of your community is too, because that's why they pay the Motley Fool subscription to get investment research and ideas, right? Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I think a big part of this conversation that I want to focus on is basically how do you go from individual like shares, there's like 2,300 last time I checked or something like this on the market. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about like how you think about breaking that down? Because Warren Buffett says, just go from A to Z, which... (laughs) That would take you a long time to look at all of those different- And he was talking about the US stocks as well, right? There was like 7,000 on there or more. more. So Yeah, right. So yes, it's a smaller task, but still a big task on the ASX. Yeah, because even if if you spend half an hour on each of these 2,300, it would still take you a very, very, very long time. And then you probably get to the end and have to go back to the start again. But then how do you go from like saying, okay, I want to invest in really good businesses. What is the general process? Like what do you do day to day to get down to something more reasonable? So that is a process that I've done before, the A to Z, uh, which is literally getting a list of all of the businesses on the ASX, sorting them from A to Z and figuring out what they do. 
Now, I didn't, I, full disclosure, I didn't go through every single business. And, and I think that's sort of what you're alluding to there as well, is that there is, a, there is a way to sort of filter that down to streamline the process, so to speak. So when you do a, a stock screen, I think some of, one of the first things that you can do is sort of figure out what industry are each of these businesses in. Now, there's businesses that I'm just never going to touch. So speculative miners, speculative biotech businesses. Um, these, are, these are businesses that they're just far too speculative for my, my thinking. You know, mm-hmm. they may never make a dollar of revenue in their life. Basically, the, the future is almost out of their hands and certainly out of my hands. So that's one of the ways that you can do that. And if you, if you do follow that process and automatically filter out those speculative miners, speculative biotech businesses, you might get, say, a thousand off your list. So already you've halved your list. Another way, though, is filtering by revenue. So there's a lot of businesses that might not be speculative, but they're still very early stage in their life. Now, these are businesses, I'll, I'll say, less than a million dollars of revenue a year or maybe less than $2 million of revenue. It's even. pretty small. Pretty small, yeah. But there are businesses, there's a lot of businesses out there that are generating that much or less on yeah. the ASX. Those are businesses, and some of those might very well end up being you know, multi-baggers over time. They may end up being tomorrow's blue chips. But I, I also, as an investor, I also have the ability to say, no, not now. Yep. I can you know, leave that off until later. And then when they are generating more than one or $2 million of revenue, they'll be left on my screen and maybe then they'll get a bit of extra consideration. Um, another thing that I, I like to do is also filter by growth. Um, I do prefer to invest in higher growth businesses. That doesn't necessarily mean explosive growth, like 100% per annum. But businesses that are ge- consistently generating more than you know, a double double digit percentage growth per, mm. per annum, if you can sort of filter through those sort of businesses and you know filter out the ones that aren't growing from year to year, then it's another way of actually filtering down that list. You know, you might have three three hundred, four hundred uh, companies after all of that filtering, which gives you a more manageable list to work through. From that, you can start to add some business descriptions. You know, figure out exactly where these industries fit in in the world. Uh, what's the importance of their products, and and is it worth pursuing them more? So I don't, I don't, I certainly don't think you do need to spend half an hour on each business. I think you can sort of filter it down to maybe a list of 20, 30, 40 businesses, and then maybe spend you know an hour or two on each. Yeah, right. And so to filter these stocks, you would use like a like a piece of software like Ticker, T I K R, yeah. or one of these tools on. Which is sometimes free, sometimes you have to pay like twenty bucks a month or something. So like that. we we use Cap IQ at, at the Motley Fool, yeah. Which is more expensive, but Great. it's more designed for analysts like yourself, right? Great. Yeah, um, I think that for most people that are looking at this, you should go and check out Ticker T I K R. Um, we used to have some sort of referral thing where we didn't make any money, but I think we got people a discount. We don't. I don't know if we have that anymore. But if you are interested, Ticker.com. Um, check that out because you'll be able to follow along with what Ryan's saying here. So then, okay, so you've broadly described like how do you deal with like the the search and the analysis paralysis because let's be honest, most of us get confused when there's like four different brokerage accounts or f- 10 different brokerage accounts, let alone 2,000 different stocks. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about like the types of companies that you're looking for? So what I mean by this is like what makes a great business First and foremost, it doesn't have to be a great investment, but like, what are you looking for? If you're, a, you said you're bottom up, which in my language is like a business first investor. So you focus on the business first and then all the other stuff second. What makes a good business? Like, what are the features of that business? Okay, so I, I mentioned growth a moment ago. I think that's probably one of the first things. Mm-hmm. If it's a if it's a business in decline, 
then it's probably not in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that doesn't mean that they're, you know, those businesses are never worth looking at. Sometimes they may have a very valid reason for having you know, shrunk, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, from year to year, but they're generally not the, the sort of businesses that I look for. So first of all, I would say growth. The second thing, though, is probably a mission-critical element to them. And what I mean by that is if I was to click my finger right now, and half of the businesses in the world were to disappear. I'm sort of picturing myself as like Thanos here from yeah. the Marvel Universe. If I was Thanos and I clicked my fingers and half of the businesses in the world disappeared right now, which which are the ones that people would notice are gone? Yeah. You know, a Coca-Cola is probably one that people are going to notice is gone. There's other businesses out there, though, as well, that might provide very mission-critical functions for businesses themselves to continue functioning or consumers to, you know, that consumers need in their lives. Now, a good example here would be a company called Zero. Now, I, I own shares in, a, in Zero. So do I, yep. So Zero, for anyone who doesn't know, is basically a an accounting platform, an online accounting platform, predominantly for small and medium-sized businesses. Now, they take care of a lot of that functionality, you know, obviously the, the financial reporting, payroll, you know, what have you. Superannuation. Superannuation. Now, if all of a sudden Zero was to disappear or if a customer was to lose access to Zero, they're going to notice. You know, mm. zero allows businesses to really focus on what they're doing uh, to, to, I guess, to not have to worry about the accounting side of things. It makes the accounting side of things so much easier that they can just focus on what the business is doing. If that was to disappear overnight, they'd notice. Yeah. Now, in a company for a company like zero, what does that give them? It gives them the ability to potentially pump up prices without too many customers saying, no, nope, not going to do it. Because it's just so much of a hassle to try and swap to a different alternative or to go back to you know managing things on Excel. So that's one of the, the elements of mission critical there uh, that, I, that I would really focus on. And I suppose one of the ways as well that you can look at uh, whether a company does have that element to it, it doesn't even necessarily be something that you need to understand, but there, can, there are metrics that sort of show whether or not a company has that that sort of function uh, that that sort of attribute to it, mm-hmm. one of those would be like high. Uh, one of those would be rather uh, high customer retention, as an example. So uh, there, there are companies out there that have you know ninety five percent retention, which basically means you know from now to next year, nineteen of the companies that are currently customers will still be customers in twelve months' time. That's probably one of the elements there of mission critical. Okay, so you're looking for customers that hang around and businesses that have the ability to price right, and yep. push. So even if they increase prices, they retain the customers. So if this cup of tea or coffee that's on the table in front of us here from Axel in Melbourne, not bad, not bad. Um, if this was to go up in price again, I might consider not going there tomorrow. Correct. And it's been going up recently, Axel. I love it, but it's been going up a lot. So come on you're on notice yeah <laughs> but it would like i would switch from this coffee to a different cafe or something like yeah. that so it may have all of the features like it might have repeat customers like me but if they there's a limit to how much they could increase prices before i'll swap mm. where you're saying with zero um there's a there's there's not much of a limit like there would be somewhere but they've got more pricing power because it's harder for someone to switch accounting software than it mm. is to just shop at a different cafe great yeah right so growth and mission critical. Is there anything else you look for? Yeah. One of the things that I think a lot of investors probably don't, uh, whether, whether or not they don't understand or, or not, but they, they think that investing needs to be complicated. It really doesn't. And now the, the, investor, the, the businesses that I prefer to invest in, most of them are quite simple to understand. 
And I think that's probably one of the elements here, because if you're looking through a business, you're trying to figure out whether or not it's a company to invest in, or even more so a company to stay invested in if, if things start to go pear-shaped, you want to be able to understand it. You want to be able to answer questions mm. or sort of rationalize these answers. You don't want to have to you know, question whether or not, is this something that I don't understand? Or you know, I, So I think just trying to keep things simple is probably one of the other, other elements to it. And that's probably something as well with the kind of businesses that I'm quite attracted to. Uh, a lot of them are software oriented. You know, they 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 are selling software to a customer, even if even if I don't necessarily understand the technology behind it, I can still understand the process why a customer might might need it. I can understand a lot of the metrics behind it. So those are some of those things. Uh, Capital Light as well is probably the other big thing that I focus on. So what does that mean? So Capital Light is uh, let's say I'll use software. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll use mining as as, a, as an example. Okay. So, if you're a company that's undertaking mining activities, you're going to need trucks. You're going to need a whole, you know, diggers. You're going to need to, you know, pay uh, anyway, a, a truckload of people <laughs> yeah. to to actually mine content from the ground. That is capital intensive because there are a lot of fi- there are a lot of variable costs, but also fixed costs that you know go into this. Yeah. Whereas a company like uh, we'll, we'll use Zero as an example again. Once the once that code is actually written for for this software, they can basically sell that to every new customer for very little variable cost. You know, the fixed cost base is sort of fixed, and then they can sort of just keep on making an incremental revenue from that with improving margins over time. So they don't need to buy another truck to sell more zero subscriptions. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we've got growth. We've got mission critical. Um, what was the third one? Uh, I did mention founder led. Ah, founder-led. I okay. will say founder-led. Okay. Uh, so there, a lot of the businesses that I like, this isn't a strict one. Now, not every company out there is going to be founder-led, but let's say I founded a. Let's say I found. Oh, we'll use you. You you founded Rask. Sure. So, visionary. Visionary. <laughs> not <Yeah>. really. <laughs> you, you've obviously got a very strong alignment with that business. Yep. Now, your name is literally on the business, yep. and you want that to succeed over time. That's the same as what a founder-led company would do. So they are invested in the business. They, you know, their, their name is literally above the banner on the door. They mm. want to see it succeed, and they're aligned with investors. Now that doesn't mean they all have to be founder-led, but I want to at least see some level of alignment with shareholders. So that could be that you know the CEO owns five or ten percent of the business. If things go pear-shaped, then they're going to feel the pain too. So they're going to. It's really in their best best interest to make sure that things go well over the long run. Mm. Okay, so. We've got growth, mission critical, then we've got capital light. Founder-led. Founder-led. That's four. Is there anything else? Uh, I'll give you one more and I'll say optionality. Now, uh, probably the perfect example here would be Amazon. So, obviously started off as an online bookstore and now they're the everything store. There are multiple ways for that company to win and obviously they do continue to invest in things. Some things they fail at. You know, they had the, I think it was called the Fire Phone a few years ago and that, that went nowhere, right? But it didn't even matter because they've got so many other different options that they can take and have taken that have proven very, very successful over time. So from uh, an online bookstore, and now you know one of their major businesses is obviously Amazon Web Services, so literally providing the the infrastructure for the cloud. Mm. That is extreme optionality, and that's one of the best things I think you can look for in a business. Yeah, right. I like that. Um, they also did the Kindle, right? And audio. Kindle, yeah. uh, sorry, not audio books. Um, they Audible. did Audible. Audible. Yeah. Yep. So. They had the ability to not only have an option to do something else, they also managed to destroy their own business, mm. or at least risk destroying their own books business, 
to, to create a totally new system. Yep. Um, and the founder thing was really interesting. As you were saying that before, um, we've got a lot of merch shipped recently. So if you've been to one of our events, hopefully you've got some merch, but um, some of it horrible, which I've designed. But um, I, uh, every time I see a piece of merch that says the RAS name on it and someone wears it or someone picks it up from our events or wherever, it actually does give me a really strong sense of like pride in the name and the fact that they're wearing it. And I often think, I often think like if I wasn't the CEO, whatever you call it, um, would that be there? Probably not. Mm. Like they, the, if there was someone else in place of me running the business, they would be probably just as happy to change the name. Yeah. Because it wouldn't mean anything to them like it means it to me. And I think that's a very different thing. Um, if someone on your team provided really poor customer support, it's going to reflect badly on you and your name. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, um, that alignment is really important. Now, that obviously, like I could be nuts, like I could be crazy and then I just drive us into the ground. That's a possibility too. So, you kind of need to find someone who's not just aligned but also able to do the job and do it well. So, um, I think we can all think of some sort of founder out there or business leader that says some crazy stuff or kind of just loses a wheel off the bandwagon and they just go off into the, the sunset. So, um, that's not like one, I think people tend to kind of get sucked into this as individual shareholders. They kind of be like, well, I'm just so in love with this person that runs the company and they might have fantastic charisma, but do they have all the other things to back mm. it up? And I think that's probably one of the other things to, to consider here as well is that you, you've asked me for what I look for in a business and I've sort of just given you five or six different things. Not every business is going to have all five or six of those things. Some thing I've invested in businesses that are more capital intensive. I've invested in certainly invest in, in businesses that are not founder led yeah. or don't necessarily have that management alignment. But you need to have a number of these things that are aligning to sort of give you the confidence that says, yeah, this is a winning investment over time. Yeah. So is there anything else on the list? Uh, I think those are probably the main things. Uh, probably the other one I would say is tailwinds. So you don't want to, oh, certainly I don't want to invest in businesses that are necessarily fighting against headwinds. So maybe a, a shrinking industry. There might be a business that is operating in that industry that, you know, it's gaining market share. But if over time the opportunity is going to continue shrinking and really, I guess, constraining its potential, that's generally not the kind of business that I want to be invested in. Yeah, fair enough. Um I really, yeah, it's at the end of the day, like I run a lot faster when the wind is at my back than when it is in my face. Um, I've, seen, I've seen you run in both, yeah. <laughs> it's never pretty actually <laughs> now that I think about it. But at the same time, like it is one of those things where w why not, you know, go to where the, the tide is rising and just be fishing in those areas because you'll probably be more lucky. Um, okay, so we've covered a bit about your process and what you like to invest in. I actually might jump straight to a different question, um, and this is this is one that I, I, I thought maybe we'll just catch you off guard, but then I realized I sent it to you in advance, so it probably doesn't really help, but I just want to know, what's the best thing you've ever bought for under 30 bucks? Yeah, this this was one I, I had to give a bit of thought to, uh, and I, I also wondered, is this pre-inflation or after-inflation, because <laughs> you can't buy much for under $30 anymore. Well, um, however you want to take it. I'm, just a, I'm, I'm in the market for a low cost high value product that just right. brings some sort of joy or pleasure to someone's life. Okay. So, uh, you, I, I, have you asked this question to other people? No, never. Okay. I was going to say, you probably get some interesting answers to this one. If you are listening to this, please write into us and tell us what you have bought because this could give some really fascinating answers. And if we get enough people write in, we can just air them all on the podcast and it'll be so valuable for everyone because I'm genuinely in the market for 
cool stuff I can buy on you the You just cheap. want to spend. Yeah, I just want to spend. Yeah, tell me what's up. <laughs> uh, I'll say, I, look, I actually can't remember if this was under $30 or not. I'll give you two. One was uh, my daughter's first St Kilda membership. So okay. family Terrible. of saints here. Yep, yep. we're all uh, <laughs> we're all used to disappointment, but yep. uh, hopefully some uh, some better luck <laughs> in twenty twenty four. So Ava Ava's St Kilda membership. I think that cost me thirty or forty dollars. Uh, just the joy on her face when you know the Saints win or yeah. kick, kick the ball. Yeah, you know, just just anything, just anything. Just as soon as we get it, just seeing that is is lovely. I, I really enjoy that. The other thing though for me, and this was probably the first thing that came to mind, was uh, yoga blocks. Now. I am not someone who practices much yoga. What's a yoga block? Uh, okay, so it's like two, I don't know, how, six six inch by four inch blocks, literally just a like a, a rectangular box okay. that people use during yoga practice. Now, okay. as I said, I'm not much of a yoga practitioner, so yeah, okay. I don't know how I answered that. Um, but basically, I you know, sitting at a desk all day, I get a really stiff back. And I was finding myself going to, you know, the myotherapist or the physio every two or three weeks. Uh, I still I still probably get there once a month or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these yoga blocks do help me to loosen up my back, loosen up the muscles, which I think is probably a good investment in the sense that I'm not spending quite as much on uh, on those health bills, but also, you know, preparing myself for a better future. I like that. More uh, limber. More limber future. Oh, I like that, mate. I like that. So who knows? Maybe you will next time you come back on the show, you'll be like a yoga expert or something like I this. Could be, but yeah. That's good. That's good. I actually I did hear of um, something that I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast recently and he did mention that one of the great purchases he had for under twenty bucks or something was something um, that he sits with it goes behind his back when he sits on the seat. So yeah, right. if you are if you are buying these things, let us know because we would love to to share the love. Um you mentioned companies like Amazon before. Um, I know we've talked in the past about companies like Netflix. You mentioned Zero, which is a big winner here in Australia. I know for a while you looked at companies like Afterpay and that sort of stuff. And one thing that they tend to have in common is those companies that do really well tend to keep doing really well. Mm. Uh, and we'll get to some conventional wisdom, which I just can't stand in a moment. But can you maybe just tell us a little bit about how... When you've made an investment and it's done really well and what you've learned from it. So, like a specific case, a specific investment? Yeah, sure. Whatever you think. So, uh, this is a company I still own, a company called WiseTech Global, uh, and it trades on the ASX, ticker code WTC. And I bought that one not long after its IPO, and I believe that was maybe seven or eight years ago. I think it was 2016 or thereabouts. Mm Mm-hmm. Basically, what WiseTech Global does is it provides software for logistics providers around the world. And uh, what I mean, so FedEx, you know, those sort of businesses. Okay. And, you know, if you if you were to purchase something online, so yoga blocks, as an example, mm-hmm. you know, you- Go you, and get them. You purchase it from yep. Rebel Sport and it comes to your door. It seems pretty simple, right? But there's actually a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Those yoga blocks might be coming from China, as an example, and then it needs to go through the US, you know, then to Australia. And it's got to go through a whole bunch of different steps, you know, customs, warehousing along the way. It's a, it's a really, it's, it's actually a really complex system, uh, the, the global logistics system. So basically, what WiseTech is doing is bringing that all together. So it's, it's bringing, you know, defunct parts, so individual parts, and bringing it all into the one system called Cargo Wise One. And basically, uh, it's, it's basically using that as like a, a per, you know, usage, usage based. So it charges companies based on their usage over time. And that has grown. So every single customer cohort that they've brought on, I think since maybe 20, uh, 2006 or thereabouts, has increased their spend every single year since then. 
So it's a really sticky product, and that's what I mentioned before, mission critical component. So that's one of the things. One of the, one of the things though, that's probably given me an appreciation of, I, I bought that, as I said, just shortly after the IPO, so I've held on to that for seven years or whatever it is now. Yeah. So just appreciating that it's the I'm in it for the long haul, right? I, I'm and I've watched this thing grow from you know a, a relatively small provider to a relatively big provider, and yet I can still see a lot of optionality for this business to continue growing. If you were buying that, if you were buying shares in it today, you know some people might look at the share price rise and think, "Oh, I'm too late." Fact is, you're you're not. I I don't believe you are. I, I still think there is a lot of optionality in that, and I think for me, as I said, just focusing on that long haul aspect, you know, the long term element. Mm. I think as well, just understanding the business and strategy uh, too. I, I think I mentioned before, you know, when you're investing in shares, you're not just investing in a ticker code that's trading on the ASX. You're investing in a business with people backing it. So just understanding the business and its strategy. And I think probably one of the one of the big tests for me as well over time was uh, you might remember a few years ago, WiseTech Global was actually attacked by like a short report. Yeah. Now, do, so people, do you want to, people betting against it. People betting against the stock. So basically people who would benefit if the stock fell. Yeah. So uh, they, they released this short report on the business that did understandably spook the market. Uh, I, I imagine it must have dropped maybe 50% or so at the time. And there was a lot of doubt about whether its strategy would, would stack up. You know, there were a lot of question marks around this business. But to really stand back and hold your conviction in the business. Now, I'm not saying that holding conviction is always the wi- the wise thing to do. I think you should always respond to the new facts as they as they come about, but also not respond directly to what the market is saying. So at the time when this short report was released, the market was basically saying this company's stuffed. You know, it's it's strategy, it's no good. Uh we we've unraveled it. It's all going to unravel now. Yep. But standing back and appreciating, okay, now hang on. That doesn't make sense. What what WiseTech is doing actually does make sense to me, and I think now is a good time to be holding rather than selling into that panic. That was probably one of the big tests that I've faced, um, and yeah, it's it's done really well since. I, I, it's a multi bagger since then. I don't know how much it's gone up by, uh, but it's done very well for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also even more recently with margins contracting, I think, uh, and I'll explain that in a moment. But basically. I guess the market has started questioning certain parts of its strategy yeah. again. So more recently, the shares must have been trading up around $85, $90. It's pulled back to about $66 or thereabouts now. The reason I believe that is, is because in their most recent report, they basically said, we're going to, inv- we're going to start investing pretty heavily in ourselves again. Margins, so profit as a percentage of revenue, that's going to contract for the next couple of years and then it'll rebound. I think that's probably something that the market didn't like. Uh, you know, they certainly questioned it. But again, just focusing on the strategy and that long-term element and thinking, no, th- this actually does make sense to me. And I am in the market for these shares for the long haul. This is a business that I do want to continue to back. So so keep on backing it. Did you Do you think that you were able to keep holding on to this really you know, fast-growing company because you had a thesis, because you wrote it down? Do you think that played a role? Oh, I, I certainly think that helped. Yeah. Okay. Because other than, otherwise you're just like, thinking about why do I own this thing, but you've actually had it down in writing. If you don't understand the business and why you're holding it, then those sort of knocks are, uh, of course, they're going to make you question your thesis and your thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Um, okay, so I've got maybe one or two more questions and then we'll get to some maybe rapid fire towards the end. The first one is a lot of people here want to, um, a lot of people here want to invest in shares. Mm-hmm. But they're just like really worried about making mistakes. So, what are some of the most common mistakes that people make? 
You know, I, I was actually talking to a couple of the members at your event as well in Taralgon uh, a couple of months ago. And one of the more common things that I heard was now's not the right time to be investing, you know, or, or, or questioning it. Is now the right time to be investing? Yeah. I think there there is always going to be a reason not to invest right now. You know, through the global financial crisis, there, there were obvious reasons. But even during more you know, tempered times, there are always reasons to doubt it. You know, ah, things aren't great at work. Maybe I should continue to hold on. You know, just not not take that risk right now. Yep. I think sometimes you've just got to take that risk. You've just got to you've just got to acknowledge that okay, never is going to be perfect, but I've just got to jump in. Yeah. At some point, so I'd say that's probably one of the big big mistakes that people make. I mentioned a, a moment ago that uh, I think a, a mistake that investors make is they think that things need to be complicated. They need to invest in complex ideas to make better returns. I think it's actually the opposite. I think people need to invest in what they understand and therefore things that are th- things that the market can understand but also things that they can begin to understand if things do go wrong they can get out or if things continue to go right potentially they can actually add to their position. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the other things. Um and I would say the the last thing I would mention is as well confusing the market with individual opportunities. And that sort of I guess relates to the first point that people question whether or not now is the time to invest. The market's gone too high or the market's crashing. Within the market, though, I, I'm I'm a person who doesn't buy the market. I'm trying to invest in businesses within the market. And that's what individual shareholders, I believe, should be doing. So no matter the market, there, there will always be an opportunity. It's just a matter of where to find it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think a lot of those things, like the, the timing the market is just a crazy thing to yeah. me. People are like, oh, I'm going to hold off because... One that I find that they do is the people that say, I'm just going to hold off, I heard the market's going to crash or something like this, or it's not right, not, not right now. Oh, I've been doing this long enough to know that the people who say that, when the market does crash and things are, like there are good opportunities everywhere, they're like, oh, now it's too risky. Yep. I'm just like, well, what do you want? You don't want it going up because you think it's going to crash. You don't want it going down because you think it's crashing. You don't want to go on sideways because a crash could be coming soon. What do you want? I, th- I think probably more people have missed out on more money than like by waiting for a bear market than they have lost money, you know, in the bear market. In the, in the bear market. Yeah. yeah. You know, you see times where, you know, a bull market, there was a bull market a couple of years ago where the market did go up, it doubled, more than doubled. People along the way who said, oh, it's too late, you know, it's going to crash, it's going to crash, it's going to crash. Eventually they were right. But, you know, the market might have only pulled back 30% and then gone back up again. Yeah. And those who didn't invest in the first place or invest along the way ultimately missed out. Yeah, I guess it's the old thing. Like By, def- by definition, we're getting closer to the next crash than the last one. Correct. So yeah. there's going to be one sooner or later. A broken clock will be right. Um, but whether or not that's the right thing to do, i.e. wait, is just a totally different thing. Mm. So, okay. So I've got this last question, which I'm really keen to talk about. And the reason why I want to talk about this with you is because The Motley Fool is known for kind of standing up for the individual investor and calling out a lot of the shenanigans that go on on Wall Street and hence, you know, the name The Motley Fool, right? That's what the court jester back in the day was always the the fool who could speak the truth to the king or to the queen. Without the risk of having his head chopped off. Yeah, exactly. Because they could say it in jest, right? Um, So, two phrases I'm particularly like keen to pick your brain, brain on and they really annoy me is investing is like gambling. If someone said that to you, what would you say? I would put it back to them that not investing is also like gambling. 
you know, over time and particularly based on, depending on your age, if you don't invest, then you could well be, you know, succumbing yourself to a low rate of return for a long time. In which case, you know, when you reach retirement age or you, you know, you, you want to save for a house or whatever, you don't have enough. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that everyone should put 100% of their wealth behind shares. That's not what I'm saying. But I do think that having that mindset that investing is like gambling, it's a dangerous game to play because, as I said, not investing is also like gambling. Yeah. Um, I also think, to, to go back on that point, investing can be like gambling if you're investing in things that you don't understand. So I mentioned a moment ago that uh, when we invest, we're investing in businesses with people and, and ideas behind them. If you're just buying ticker codes, that's going to be random. That's like throw, you know, throwing darts at a, at a dartboard blindfolded. Yep. So that, that element can be, uh, can be gambling, but in total, I, I certainly don't believe it is. Well, I guess that what you're doing is you're looking at individual companies, or even if you're looking at ETFs, you're looking at um, the facts and the figures. You're making your own odds. Right. Correct. In yeah. gambling, most people just go into the sports bet account or who, insert name of horrible thing, um, and they go in there and they just look. Oh, look! I can get two dollars fifty if I bet on this game of whatever. Um, no idea if two dollars fifty sounds reasonable. Maybe they go, oh, you know, I follow the sport a bit, but um, you don't own anything at the end of the day, too, which mm. is a little bit concerning for me. Like you don't actually own anything. I said on the podcast quite a while ago that. Uh, <laughs> The only people that tend to make money in um, horse racing is the people that own the horses. And then a few people that owned horses wrote into me and said, you don't make money. <laughs> there you go. And I was like, maybe it's just the, maybe it's just the app providers and the gambling companies. Um, I, I, think, I think too, I'll, I'll throw in there too. One other element of it is, as well is, and certainly at The Motley Fool, and I know you have the same sort of uh, mindset, the long-term mindset. It, it's really about how long you're actually in the market for. Anything could happen tomorrow, even to the best company on the market. You know, that could fall in mm -hmm. price. If you're buying shares today with the expectation of selling tomorrow, yeah, I'd say that's gambling. Yeah. Over time though, as those business fundamentals play out, as the as they have time to actually work through their strategy, that becomes less and less like gambling and more and more like investing. Yeah. Another thing that can lead people to think it's like gambling is their perception. So unrealistic expectations. Yeah, I think that's you know, I actually worked with someone at one point who was asking me about investing and how she, I told her basically, you know, look, you'd expect maybe 10% per annum. You know, that's sort of what the market's done, eight to 10%. And she said, oh, what? I was hoping to double my money next week. Oh, I won't bother then. And I, I was just thinking, I don't have the time to explain this. You know, that's not that's not how it's going to work. Yeah. And it's probably best that you do avoid investing. <laughs> yeah. Put your money in a savings account. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, the, over the ultra long-term stock companies on the stock market average price increases is anywhere between six, seven, eight percent, somewhere around that range. So if you can assume that your long-term returns are going to average out to something like that, you'd be a wiser investor for sure. The other one that really grinds my gears and really just gives me the irrits when I hear it is buy low, sell high. And I don't see this as much in Australia anymore as I do overseas, but a lot of people are like, well, yep, buy low, sell high. I'm curious, do you agree with me on that? If not, like, what do you think about it? It's one of those things that's really just caught on, right? Yeah. And, and I don't agree with it. I, I, I mean, the rationality makes sense. That's ultimately what you want to do, but you can't time the market. You never know what's going to happen. And even if you sell a stock today, you don't know if it's going to go higher tomorrow. Yeah. So what I would say, and certainly my approach and the approach of the Motley Fool is to water your flowers. And that often means buying low, buying higher, buy, or buy high, buy higher. You know, the, the, the businesses that are winning, 
it's going to be reflected in their share price, which is going up. The opposite is, you know, obviously buying buying low and selling high is buying potentially a, a lower quality business that has dropped in price and hoping that it will rebound rebound in in, uh, in quality. Oftentimes that just doesn't happen. So what I would say is focus on focus on watering your flowers and either trimming your your weeds or at least keeping them in check. Yeah, I yeah I agree with that completely. Because and again, and we'll come back to some numbers here. A lot of studies show that only a few select companies do all the heavy lifting in the stock market. Mm. Most of the companies just do average. Like what I mean by average is like the same as like bonds, like interest rates basically. Um, and so there's a very few percentage of companies that do extremely well. And then there's a lot of people that are just meh in the crowd. Um, and so if you find one of those winners, don't be in a rush to sell it because it forces us to think, first of all, it forces us to think buy low, which means buy the cheap stuff. Um, and anyone that's bought a cheap washing machine will know these types of tricks get you in trouble. Um, so you tend to go to the cheap section of the stock market, which tends to result in really poor quality companies that you might only invest in for six months to try and see if they improve. Once in a while, you might find something that's like a diamond in the rough, just yeah. awesome. But more often than not, it's it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And then you get it and then you find this thing, even if you're right, which is hard to be right, then you are automatically setting yourself up to, okay, where's the nearest exit on this thing? And that is not the right approach because all the stuff that we talk about is like long-term compounding. Like when anyone says the stock markets perform well over the long term, they're not saying like three months. They're not even saying three years. They're saying like 10 years. Mm. So the way we measure results is just, the, the, what, the way we want to measure results and the, what we expect is two totally different things. And so the only way that we can adjust that and get good results from the stock market is to adjust our expectations. Um, and so like zoom out a bit and see the, the bigger picture. And if you find these companies, hold on to them. All right, mate. Anyone that wants to follow more of what you do day to day can head to full.com.au. Um, you work on a few different services. You're the director of research. Um, you have a very limited time spent on Twitter. Uh, which is okay. Maybe you're just one of those lurkers, but people can find you there. You're on LinkedIn. Uh, we can put a link in the show notes to your LinkedIn as well. People want to follow you there. Also, but- something that I haven't been very active in. We'll put a link in the show notes and just yeah, comes up with a, a, <laughs> with a blank, <laughs> with a blank LinkedIn profile. Is this the Ryan Newman? Um, we'll, go, we'll just go with it and see what happens. But sure. if you want to get in touch with Ryan, you can get in touch with him there, mate. I've got to end with a few quick answer questions. So these are only. Uh, under 30 second responses, please. Even shorter, if you will. So these are going to be very provocative. Um, First up, I might give you an easy- Personal? Uh, (laughs) I'll keep it not personal, but this first one's going to be right in the heart, which is who will end higher on the 2024 AFL ladder, Hawthorne or St Kilda? Uh, I'm going to say Saints. Two, two months ago, when we were in a bit of a form dip, I would have said Hawthorne. But uh, how he ended the season, I would say St Kilda will hopefully make it to the finals. You know, hopefully go a little bit further. Okay, that's one thing we definitely disagree on, Gardner Hawks. Um, number two on my list is, is cryptocurrency an investment or a speculation? I think more a speculation. I suppose it depends on your uh, your mindset. So some, I mean, there's NFTs, you know, those pictures of the, the apes. Or Board Ape Yacht Club, yep. Yeah, I think those are complete speculation. I can see some uh, some reason why some of, some of those cryptocurrencies might work out in the in the long term. Most most of them, though, and I mean the vast bulk of them, I ve- I believe are very speculative. Yep. Okay. Cool. Number four. Will you buy a Tesla in the next three years? I would love to. 
uh, especially after having a ride in yours, but no. Okay. Not in the next three. Oh, darn it. Okay. Now, what about if it come down in price? Uh, maybe. We'll yeah. see. Because they did drop their prices pretty substantially in 2023. I think they'll do it again in 2024. Oh, well, if, if you're ever looking to sell, then yeah, so you, come to me. So, yeah, cheap stocks. Here's one. Here's a cheap Tesla. Um, okay. My final question is, will the Australian stock market be higher or lower in 10 years' time? You can never know for sure where it's going to go in the short term. History would suggest that in 10 years' time, it will be higher. So short term, you can never know. Longer term, medium to long term, is uh, it's, a, it's got a pretty good historical record of going up. So I would say higher. Okay, great. Well, Ryan, Mr. Ryan Newman, buddy, pal, thank you for taking the time to join Monique and I in the studio and for coming all the way downtown into Melbourne. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no-obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.